and we just did it the hard way because we it wasn't an environment like in the states where yeah. you know after the beatles exploded there was a band on every corner and it probably yeah. continued forever we didn't have that we didn't know anyone that was in a band on this episode of playtime i blow out the windows with metal legend john gallagher from the band raven i'm your host wc turk Raven formed in Newcastle, England, way back in 1974 by brothers John and Mark Gallagher. Raven produced 14 razor-edged albums and influenced heavyweight standouts Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax, to name just a few, as well as several generations of metal bands. And I'm not kidding. Uh, In the the early 80s, this announcer wore out a vinyl copy of the band's 1981 Rock Until You Drop album, whose jacket also hit a copy of The Cure's 17 Seconds. By the way, I'm not kidding, John Gallagher. Uh, That's absolutely (laughs) true. The band is celebrating the 40th anniversary of their second album, Wiped Out, in 2005. Wiped Out was ranked number 495 in Hard Rock Magazine's book of the 500 greatest rock metal albums of all time, showing the lasting power of this uh, of this classic album. Their latest album is Metal City, which might be the band's tightest offering to date. Raven is performing in Chicago at Reggie's on October 11th. Uh, visit Reggie'sLive.com for details and tickets. Raven's website is RavenLunatics.com. The great John Gallagher joins me. John, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Bill. Good to be here. Thank you. It's wonderful. So let me let me ask you this very, very quickly. Uh, you have played at Reggie's before. Yeah, this would be probably our fifth time buying okay. Reggie's. We love it. Great venue. Uh, not too small, not too big. Everyone's, you know, it's not a bad seat in the house. No, and it's really an interesting with space. Chicago. We've got fans that have been seeing us there for, yeah. these, I don't know, 30, almost 40 years at this point. It's it's uh, amazing. And it's, you know, it's great because it's, it's generational now. Mm-hmm. We've got people bringing their kids and then their kids bringing their kids. So <laughs> it's crazy. This is, a, this is a great music city. By the way, you'll be heading with special guests, headlining with special guests, Riot Act, uh, Idle Throne and Ocracy. Uh, this is a 17 and up show. Um, uh, and it's a 7 p.m. show. So uh, early enough for everybody to get in, rock the house and uh, and, and get, bed, get, get back to bed in uh, in time. So uh, you're you're still based. Are you still still living in Newcastle? I spend half my time in Newcastle and half okay. the time in Florida. So or, or, I get or, the best of both worlds. There or uh, on the road, as it would be. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm always on the road. 
and and uh, and Newcastle is special to me because of uh, Newcastle Brown Ale. Uh, your your dad worked at the uh, the Newcastle plant for a while. Yes, he certainly did, and uh, his weight changed very quickly as they were dipping when nobody <laughs> looked. They all had their pint glasses and would uh, take a tipple now and then. Uh, yeah, the beer's famous. It's, uh, they it used to have a is. ward at the Newcastle General Hospital yeah. for people who were addicted to it. Uh, <laughs> and the other name for it is Bottled Insanity. Uh, was it that, there was <laughs> it was standing room only, I'm sure, and there was a waiting list to get into that ward. Oh yeah, it was uh, very popular. Uh-huh. <laughs> did they did they did they ease you out with an with a with an intravenous of of Newcastle or how did, how did yeah that... I think they just they they wean you off and get you back on the tea I think eventually something <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the music because I hear that you play a little bit of that now and again. <laughs> Your uh, your driving sound and and where is that line for Raven between punk and metal or is is there even a clear line? So let me add, let me throw this in. This is how Wikipedia defines punk: typically short, fast-paced songs with hard-edged melodies and singing style, stripped-down instrumentation, and often shouted political anti-establishment lyrics. That to me, perfectly defines Raven. Where did that come from? Where did that originate? In the early 80s, so there was a, there was a lot of political strife and you know, nobody had any money and nobody had any prospects. and That's why we just channeled all our frustration into the music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm looking for, that, for the, that, that defining line. So how, how, do, you, how do you keep from, from going over... Uh, over the line to punk, and then that you say you, you stay straight on on that metal path. Well, it's it's kind of the reverse to say how do you how do you keep it over into the metal line? Because if you dumbed everything down and didn't yeah, play yeah. real riffs and played like very simple chord riffs, yeah, very simple drum patterns, didn't sing, just shouted everything, made everything a lot more political, and you know, it's it's kind of like more of a lower common denominator. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. metal's a lot more sophisticated in in many ways. So that there was that is how I would define it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Punk punk is like a very very stripped down version of metal. As I said, I'm 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 just getting over COVID here, uh, and I, I just had a I just had a conversation with the uh, with the McBroom sisters, Lorelai and Durga McBroom, 
the background singers for Pink Floyd and, uh, and the Stones and Chris Isaac and all. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah, they, and and they were great. We we got down into into their family history. Um, their uh, their dad was was with Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, the night he was he was assassinated and oh and wow so, with the ambassador yeah yeah so there, there's an amazing history there um but but that conversation rightly went on for an hour and a half and uh and i i had just gotten out of bed that morning with covid um <laughs> and and so uh about two-thirds of the way into the interview I start sneezing and hacking and coughing. It was, it was, it was, it was terrible. They they were wonderful and and they did all the talking. So all I had to do was just sit back and let them roll. But so I, again, I, I apologize in in advance. And I just uh, I just had a conversation with Joe Lewis Walker, the the blues guitarist, and he's uh, he's on tour as well. Uh, he's rolling through Chicago uh, or just just went through Chicago couple weeks ago his band is what they call in the bubble are you guys right. are, are are you guys sort sort of in that same mode with uh with the whole covid thing that you're you're in the bubble or you're either in the bubble or you're not in the bubble i'm definitely not in the bubble okay definitely not and we toured last year we toured we did yeah. like a 42 day tour a year ago yeah when things were a lot stranger and we didn't wear masks and we did meet and greets and we met everyone and signed all this stuff and nobody mm-hmm. got sick because, mm-hmm. you know, it, we could have got the flu. Uh, you don't do all that for the flu. It's, you know, this, you know, it, it starts getting very, it shouldn't be political. It should be uh, science based, but yeah. you know how it, how the world is at the moment. It gets a little crazy. It all does, I can yeah. tell you is viruses can go around plastic and they don't get stopped by paper <laughs> masks. So but touring, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but but touring is that important to you? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. After I, mean, I know bands that are uh, you know doing things on a larger scale and, and basically because of insurance reasons, yeah, they're forced to do these things because. Yeah. If a, a venue is saying, okay, we're paying you X million dollars to play the stadium, and if one of you gets sick and crops out, it's going to cost, you know, an insurance yeah. premium is going to be a fortune. So yeah. we require you to, you know, wear 500 masks and <laughs> don't talk to anybody and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, at, at that level, you know, r- regardless of the... Uh, your viewpoints, I, I could kind of see that because yeah. it's a lot of people's livelihood on the line, you know? Yeah. But it, it, it's our, us, you know... Us, us poor sods, if we got sick, we'd just drag our asses out of bed and keep working. <laughs> <laughs> good man, good man. Well, that was that was one of the conversations that we had on, on the radio show with, uh, with my co-host, Carrie Kendall. We kept talking through through the pandemic about theater and concerts and and all this uh and trying to find trying to find that 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 fix that sweet spot that thing that would enable artists to make uh to make a living and and the majority of artists don't make money off their records they make money off of touring and, and if, yeah if you take that away from them 
you've you've literally taken away their livelihood. And the same goes for theater. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the theater got hit even harder. I think it took a yeah. lot longer to come back. It really uh, did. It's, it's and of still... course, inevitably, most of the major theater, uh, you know, like Broadway and what have you, is uh-huh. in a city where they were really being harsh with the regulations and rules to start with. So yeah. it just took an awful lot longer to come back. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's sad. I mean, it's, it really is. It's a huge part of, uh, or, or at least, you know, music, etc. The arts yeah. should be a huge part in everyone's lives and taking it out just help make everything a, a little more dour, you know? Yeah. It, it's such a, it's such a community based event, you know, that, that it, it requires community and, and, and that, that inter that interaction that interchange between between audience and and what's going on on stage whether it's theater yeah, or music I think yeah. you, you really nailed that there because especially these days where there's not the you know the local sense of community there used to be you know yeah. you grew up in a street where everyone knew everyone else blah 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 yeah. a lot of the community type uh experience you get these days is through music and through theater and the arts in general and we were robbed of that completely yeah just taken away especially especially a touring band like you sorry man i I was gonna say especially a touring band like raven oh yeah i mean we were had all kinds of grandiose plans to to come out with the metal city record yeah and we we were supposed to tour in early 2020 uh-huh. after it had been postponed a few times and the bands we were touring with postponed and it was like oh we really want this great package and we're yeah. going to start in europe and do this whole thing and we're like oh we're going to have to delay this and then the pandemic hit and then it was like mm, okay let's arbitrarily release the album in september of 2020 yeah. and by then everything should be fine <clears throat> And that never happened. Yeah. However, since there was no live music, the fans started digging more into recorded music. Uh-huh. So in a in a strange way, I think more people got to hear our album that may have heard it if things had been back to normal. Mm-hmm. And the reaction was phenomenal. So we're gonna we're gonna know, spend that, that's kind of set us up for now, you know, which is good. Absolutely, we're gonna we're gonna spend a little bit of time on Metal City here in in just a moment. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about so this tour is is to celebrate the 40th anniversary of uh, of your release of Wiped Out. Did did I see correctly that you're performing the album in total?
Yeah, the, the whole thing wow. live right through. Okay. Uh, and it's the first time we've ever done anything like that. Yeah, and yeah. To me, it always seemed kind of, you know, a band book going, oh, we're doing the fifth anniversary of it. Like, what uh -huh. is that? But once you start reaching numbers like 30 and 40 and 50, it's kind of a big deal. So That's a big deal. We figured we'd, uh, we figured we'd do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, does it feel like 40 years? It does and it doesn't. I mean, uh -huh. I, I, I mean, a lot of the recording process and that is stuck in my head and remember many snapshots of what was going on. It was very manic. We did an entire album and a four-track EP mm -hmm. recorded and mixed, and a lot of the songs were written on the spot in six days, which is wow. like insane. Wow. Wow. You know, I, I've, we were I've just heard on fire at that point. You know, yeah, you were. were. Um, you know, and and that was sort of sort of the rule. Then was you you got in the studio, you hit that music hard, uh, and and then uh, a, a little a little bit of mixing, maybe a little bit of dubbing, and then that was it. You were you were done, right? Yeah, I mean, we were working in a studio that was primitive for want of a better word it was 16 uh -huh. track uh -huh. there was almost no outboard gear i think they had one reverb unit a rolling space cycle and wow. for this project they hired in a lexicon 224 digital reverb unit which the engineer okay. keith nickel it, you know, it looked like it came off the bridge of the starship enterprise with the little <laughs> sliders and he had no idea so everything kind of got swamped in reverb and a lot of the times we just were overbearing because it was his first project. And we just said, nope, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And, you know, like a lot of the songs we'd, we'd had written, we'd rehearsed, we knew what they were. But yeah, a few songs like To the Limit to the Top was half written in the studio. We got to the middle break and just uh -huh. said, what do we do now? Let's take a cup of tea and sit down and figure out what we're going to do. Battlezone was written in the studio. I think a lot of UXB was written in the studio. Uh, but, you know, the sonic feelings, notwithstanding the, the energy and the musicianship and the, the just the feeling that comes across, yeah. is, uh, yeah. you know, was, was kind of very special. It was uh, groundbreaking. And of course, the English press, you know, once they told you they, they loved you on the first album, they, <laughs> they had to hate you on the second one. But uh, the Europeans really got it. And yeah. it was, you know, the album had like a cult following. It really did all all over the States and what have you. There was these pockets of people who were crazed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough, tough album. That was a big year for uh, uh, 1982 was a uh, was a really big year for for metal. Uh, Judas Priest screaming, uh, screaming for vengeance. Uh, Scorpions blackout, which I think was probably their their last semi-decent album uh venom with their black metal um which by the way sounds like it was recorded in a tin can uh aerosmith <laughs> uh aerosmith came out with uh a, a hard place a rock and a hard place um which right sort of set the stage for jane's addiction uh rainbow um axe um acdc that was a it was a great year for metal oh absolutely yeah. And, you know, the so-called new wave of British heavy metal was 
probably in its one of the last couple of years at the yeah. full swing. At that point, you were getting the imitators coming along and, you know, disaffected punks, you know, let's grow our hair out and start a metal band. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you about this band. Have you ever heard of a band from Brazil called Stress? A metal band. They had an album out in 82. It was part of my collection, and I didn't hide a Cure album in it uh, or any any new wave band. They were a great metal band out of of Brazil, and they had one album uh, that was released in 1982. And I was was hoping that you you would have heard them because I hear a lot of Raven in in stress very cool i'll have to check that out yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. no this you, you find these you know that this the, the occasional album of band from just these disparate countries all over the world and it's just like wow how yeah. come i never heard this yeah oh yeah yeah i'll definitely check that out absolutely but but you you were inspired to pick up the guitar uh at a show in brazil did i get that correct no, I, no, we never went to Brazil until okay. like 2000, ooh, 2012. Okay. I think was the first time we went over to South America, which was insane and always okay. is. It's great. <laughs> we were inspired, uh, like I say, by that concert by Slade and Alex Harvey. Okay. And, you know, previous to that, it was jumping around with tennis rackets. And then following that, it was bugging our parents. We need an electric bass and an electric guitar. Uh-huh. Get us guitars, get us guitars. And finally they relented at uh, Christmas nineteen seventy four. Okay. And bought us bought my brother a cheap guitar, bought me a cheap bass and said, you know, here you go. Do what you want to do, learn it, but if you really want to follow this, wear out because we can see the rabbit hole. We can see how much this is gonna cost. <laughs> <laughs> and we just did it the hard way because we it wasn't an environment like in the States where, yeah. you know, after the Beatles exploded, there was a band on every corner and it probably yeah. continued forever. We didn't have that. We didn't know anyone that was in a band. And our instructional DVDs was going to see bands. So we'd go to the City Hall in, in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And as we turned 18, we'd go to the Mayfair and see bands like Richie Blackmore's Rainbow and UFO and Budgie and Rory Gallagher. Wow, those are great all, bands. All those wonderful, wonderful acts and, and learn from them. Uh-huh. And, and watch intently about the guitar player was, how is he doing this? And and then even the bad stuff, like why did the atmosphere turn really bad? Because this one yeah. guy 
you know, had a temper tantrum because his guitar wasn't working properly. And you watch how the whole vibe would just turn dark and nasty. And it's just like, oh, that's something to avoid. Yeah. Wouldn't it be so much more fun if the guy just laughed it off and then trying to make it happen? So you just and, picked you know, up the guitar like that, and taught really, yourself? Yes, we did. Wow, wow. So n- n- none of this, none of this loon- learning, learning blues chords and, and blues progressions well, it's, it's, and all the... the there was a tradition in England. There was a, yeah, a, a yeah. jazz session guy called Bert Whedon. Uh-huh. And he had the play in a day book. And okay. that's where you would learn the so-called cowboy chords. You know, you okay. pull out E, D, G, what have you. Yeah. And then everything else was just nonsense in there. So you wouldn't bother with it. But after that, it was purely by ear. Because wow. the, the, you would say, oh, here's a book. It's got the, the Black Sabbath, all the guitar parts. And it, it would just show a block chord for E. It's like, no, it's supposed to go. Da, 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 da. But it just showed an E chord. And it just say a chord vamp. It's like, well, this is rubbish. So we just had to knuckle down. Uh, you'd, you'd, when you saw a band, you'd watch. Oh, he's playing it like this. So yeah. you'd, you'd just figure it out the hard way, you know? You you Which mentioned difficult. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But because of that process, you would come mm-hmm. up with a, usually a, a, a more unorthodox way of doing things and more unique. So in the long run, it it served us well because you, you came up with your own style, you know? You certainly did. And and you guys <laughs> you guys you guys forged a a a basically a signature style all your own that as we alluded to in the um, in the introduction, uh, inspired some some classic heavyweights. style evolve from did you did you always did you always have that that vision in mind and and you just you just kind of built to it or or did it did it evolve and become this this epiphany this this moment of yeah that's what we're trying to do i think it was more of a a gradual process but as kids we we played what we liked Mm-hmm. So we gravitated to the faster stuff when we'd be playing yeah. in clubs. <clears throat> yeah. We would play 
you know, if we're playing like, I'll go and do a Deep Purple song, well, we'd never play Smoke on the Water, yeah. but we'd play Highway Star uh-huh. and play it like twice as fast. Uh-huh. And then, you know, if we were doing uh, Montrose, <clears throat> we would usually play Space Station number five. Yeah. And rev it up. <laughs> uh, rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin, we would uh-huh. do that. You know, we wouldn't be playing Black Dog or anything. It was always the the harder, the faster things. And that inspired our writing, which, uh, you know, eventually would, it was exciting, fast, with structure, with yeah. melody. Yeah. And then with the occasional crazy left turn, you know, which was always yeah. the fun part of playing. Because because it's such a it's such a guitar or it's assumed to be such a guitar oriented genre and and I'm I'm going to be talking with uh, Chris uh, Impelitari next week. Um, oh great, great yeah, player, yeah, yeah. Um, but so so the focus is is always on the guitarist first, then the drummer, because those are the most notable notable to the listener. And then, and then the bass gets thrown in there. How how difficult or easy is it for you um, to match those those changes and that tempo that your brother and and the drummer are playing? Quite easy because yeah. we've we've done this for so long, and yeah. to yeah. a large part, the guitar sound is it's an amalgamation between what the guitar is doing and what the bass is doing. The bass do, I usually right. want ape it. I want ape it completely. It's usually a complimentary piece because we're only three people. So if you play a complimentary piece, it yeah. makes it all sound bigger. Yeah. And, yeah. and in, in many ways, you're absolutely right. The bass is thrown in. It's some guy who's had a lobotomy who can maybe play root <laughs> notes, you know? Well, that's not me. I uh, try to be as outlandish and, out there as possible with uh, counter melodies and uh, you know passing tones and yeah. harmonies. You know, like if there's a particular riff, yeah, I'll play, I'll play a fourth below and make oh, it three man band. You gotta be play a fifth above. You got yeah. it. You got to do these things. Yeah, and that's what's that's what makes it fun. It's like all of a sudden it's, it sounds more than the sum of the parts. Still fun but you, for but you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the foundation of what's going on, it's the guitar and how it reacts with the drums. Yeah. And, and a lot of the feel comes from that too. 
I mean, but, we've had different drummers over the years. Some of them play behind the beats. My yeah. brother plays way ahead of the beats. Uh-huh. You know, now we've got Mike. We've had Mike Heller in the band now for five years, and he's okay. just as pushy on the beat as what Mark is, which okay. really raises the excitement quotient like a thousand percent. It's incredible, yeah. you know. <laughs> but but if you're if you're just a little bit off on the bass, that's notable. And 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 as as you said you're augmenting or supplementing uh that that guitar sound as well yeah, and and yeah, I don't and covering the, the rhythm I play with a, yeah i play with, it's that's true in a three-piece to a degree you're you're fulfilling not just that rhythmic rule being locked with the drums and then the melodic rule being linked with the guitar you're filling the function quite often of what would be a rhythm guitar so to that mind, I have a really dirty, obnoxious, nasty tone, yeah, uh, yeah. which has a, it has frequencies in it that help to fill those holes, you know. Yeah, and then yeah. I'll go even further. I'll use an eight-string bass or a twelve-string bass to do the same kind of thing, which mm-hmm. has those ad- additional overtones and just you know that and play with different effects here and there. So yeah, it's uh, it, it opens the doors. Being in a three-piece gives you. An, an amazing variety of options, but also there's there's no safety net. <laughs> so you got to be uh, you got to be on your toes there, you know. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Let me ask you how how has rock changed in the last forty years um, for for you and as a business and and as an art form? Well, as a business, obviously the internet yeah destroyed whatever business model there was before. Uh, we joke and say that we're in the T-shirt business and our <laughs> CDs are the promotional items at this point, uh, which there is a, an element of truth to. Yeah. But uh, So you've, you've got that. Uh, once Pandora's box was opened with the, the <coughs> downloads with Napster and all that, you know, yeah. Lars was absolutely correct. Everything went to hell. But it's a two-edged sword. The internet now also gives people the opportunity where they maybe wouldn't got heard before. There's just yeah. a lot of noise. There's a lot of stuff out there. So that's kind of difficult to get heard through. But yeah. if you do, it catches on like wildfire. And that's the old, what was like the new wave of British heavy metal era where there was tape trading. Mm-hmm. And it was word of mouth. Check this band out. I'm going to send you a cassette of this, you know. Mm-hmm. So the internet is like that times a thousand. You've got that. As far as the music, it's evolved. Some of it's evolved to the better. Some of it's yeah. to the worst. I mean, we took what was out there and made it harder and faster. And people took what we did and pushed it even further into more non-melodic territory. And, you know, a lot of which is like, you know, you get this fragmentation with the, yeah. you know, I play in a post-apocalyptic uh, black metal uh, grindcore classically orientated death metal, blah, blah. It's all this genre nonsense. Yeah. And I have yeah. two genres. I have the music that I like and I have the music that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a great segue into, into Metal City. We should let people know that this is a bit of a departure for for Raven. It's all it's a, it's an album of all lullabies. No, I'm, I'm oh, I'm definitely. <laughs> uh, sure, but, <laughs> but John John Gallagher, why no ballads? Yes, why no ballads? 
Uh, we've done them occasionally, once or twice, <laughs> but it's 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 uh, not necessarily our forty. Uh, what we have done, I mean, this is more of an there's an epic style song on it, which is really heavy on on the album, which uh, its name escapes me as I don't have it in front of me. Uh, when worlds collide, yes, and yeah, the, the so final. That's, that, yeah, and, I mean, this particular album, the 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 brief was, you know, 10 songs. Yeah. Don't overstay your welcome. Punch everyone in the face with every song. <laughs> uh, you you, you do that, we, man. We succeeded. We succeeded uh, perfectly <laughs> on that. And I mean, we've done, well, it, it's been, I mean, we, we've done experimental almost ballad things in the past, like Pray for the Sun or even on the Glow albums, there was two songs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so close. And, uh, I can't remember the other one that were very almost ballad oriented. That was a strange time when we were just, oh, let's let's try something, you know. And and, uh, and I was I was sort of half half kidding on on the ballads, but this is probably at least in in my opinion, and and as I said, I'm a fan. This is probably your most powerful uh, record to date. Uh, it's man, it, it's just. It would be an, an energetic album for for someone half your age, man. Oh, de- definitely. I mean, that's one thing we pride ourselves upon. We yeah. don't sound like a bunch of old codgers. No, you don't. Past glories. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we've got. We've no, got, this is brand new stuff. We have a myriad of new ideas all the time. We're constantly mm-hmm. writing. We're constantly pushing the envelope. Every yeah. time it comes to an album project, we write way too many songs so we can get the cream of the crop. Nice. And if those songs weren't on, they weren't good enough, and they'll either be made good enough later on, or they'll be, you know, thrown out. And we'll, we'll just keep going. Does um, where where does where does that musical inspiration come from? And I'll, I'll preface it this way: um, I've got uh, I've got a number of books in print and and uh, several plays in the works, and I, I'm I'm a visual artist also. I've ha- we've had this conversation with with authors and artists and playwrights and and filmmakers and musicians. Where where does your where does your inspiration come from? Some people think that it comes from some deep well within their subconscious, and others think that it comes 
from tapping into something outside of themselves or or a mixture of both and I'm, I'm curious of 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 how that works for you i'd agree with the second uh, yeah it's it's more like you're a, a receiver of something you, you know if you sit down and go okay i'm going to write a song that kind of negates the process immediately but if you just sit down and just start playing with an open mind yeah uh amazing things can happen you know it's just like oh I've never played that before. What's this? Hmm, what could we do with this? And then you start being a bit more analytical on top of it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen my brother write. I mean, we had a song on Nothing Exceeds Like Excess called Die For Allah, which is like a really hard edge, almost thrash type of thing with uh-huh. a million changes. And he played it almost from top to bottom off the top of his head. That's like insane. I've never seen anything like it. He wow. just kept coming up with all these great ideas and, you know, stops and starts and let's say, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the recorder going, keep going. <laughs> and we reviewed it afterwards and it was, it needed minimal work afterwards. Yeah. And it was like, well, this sounds like a war and, oh, well, what's going on right now? Well, we've got all the Middle East stuff. So boom, boom there you go. <laughs> and once you have a title and you can build a narrative around it, then you've got a song, you can be in periods where every time you pick up an instrument there'll be an idea that comes out and luckily for me that's been a long stretch it's been like the last three or four years where i'll pick something up and something something decent will come out at some point so i'm, I'm happy for that <laughs> oh, a lot of a lot of decents come out man um, i have to ask you about uh, off of metal city motorheading uh motorheading yeah channeling the uh the late great lemmy from uh from motorhead oh, of, of course yeah of course
He was from your neck of the woods, right? Wasn't he from? Uh, no, also well, from, no? he's from England. Okay, he's from England, he's from from London area. Okay, but uh, we we played with Motorhead quite a few times. We mm-hmm. opened for them in England when they were really at the peak, when they had Fast Eddie and uh, Yeah Filthy Animal in in '82. We played uh, two big big venues with them. Uh, we played a festival. Later that year, when Brian Robertson from Thin Lizzy had joined them, okay, and then we played a couple of shows famously in the states with when we were touring with Metallica opening for us, we jumped on a couple of Motorhead dates. Yeah, what a lineup that was! And one of them was we found out this year was promoted by Harvey Weinstein. How wow, <laughs> wow, up in, up in Rochester, yeah, how weird is that? <laughs> so that's how he started his uh, career. <laughs> You but, uh, uh, you didn't like them the first time you heard them. them. What's that? You didn't you didn't like them the first time you heard them. Is that no, right? The first time I really heard them was uh, I went to the Reading Festival in, okay. in uh, down outside of London. Yeah, and they had a dreadful live sound at this gig. It sounded like a transistor radio. That was I and think was, was that for the Bomber album? Uh, it would have been the Bomber album because they right? had a, they, it was a it was a dreadful recording on that album as well. It was sort of like yeah, they were playing a through. Uh... It was. Go ahead. Yeah, playing through a fuzz pedal. <laughs> yes, yes, or transistor radio, an AM radio. Yeah. following that I got to hear more of the stuff and Lemmy is such a great lyricist and they, they, you know it, it's really the branch between punk and metal a, a lot yeah. of that yeah uh, absolutely yeah. you know that that's your that's your key there with the crossover I think where it would appeal to both factions but uh, one of a kind an, an icon absolutely and we played with them many times since and would always be oh no not you lot again he was he was very funny he was a very funny guy you've been known to hit uh a a couple high notes uh with sustainability and and their comparisons to to rob halford from uh from judas priest are you still able to produce those notes at at will and live yeah yeah. Uh, I mean, I've always taken care of my voice. I don't smoke. I don't do any of the funny stuff. I don't drink. Okay. So the Boy Scout approach kind of came off. <laughs> and I mean, doing doing like wiped out from start to finish, that'd be impossible to do if I couldn't hit the notes. It would sound pretty, yeah, pretty lame. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, wiped out's got a bunch of uh, the occasional high A, the whole bunch of high <laughs> G's and A's uh-huh. and what have you here there, like a song like Star Wars has all that high stuff at the end.
certainly not not, not a problem mm. as long as I'm uh, unfortunately third day to the tour here somebody on the crew at the Houston show decided it'd be a great idea to use the entire contents of a smoke machine which is uh, oh, gosh. basically like in, inhaling toxic gas so yeah. I've been fighting my way back from that a little bit but failing that I, I don't have any problem as long as we you know get it, get enough sleep and eat enough good food and have a great audience out there no problem we can and, do it. and and live live moderately healthy yeah of, of <laughs> course uh, you kind of got to I mean like <laughs> yeah. we said before we're old farts now we definitely have to look after ourselves <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I, I want to ask you this. In 2001, your, your brother Mark was, was badly injured. Um, his, his legs were, were injured, correct? Yeah, they were pretty much destroyed. Wow. Uh, so he's uh, an, an amazing, amazing, inf- uh, what's yeah. the word? It's, it, it's, it's just a, how we managed to pull through it is just, yeah. you know, so inspirational. It really is. It was about like a, a 20, 25 foot wall. He went to visit a guy who owed him money on a job site. He couldn't wear the the hard hat because he'd had a car accident the day before and had a huge lump on his head. So he had a baseball cap on. The wind kept blew his hat off, kept blowing his hat away. And because of that, he was far enough away from the wall that it only landed on his legs. Otherwise, wow. it would have killed him outright. Wow. And he had a piece of rebar through one calf. The other calf was ripped off. Both his ankles were smashed and turned around the wrong way. All kinds of scarring and cutting. And yeah. they were like, well, we're going to have to cut his legs off. And he's like, no. And like, well, we're going to have to cut the right leg off. It's really bad. No. Well, you'll never walk again. No. And within three years, we did a couple of shows with him in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And then a year and a half later, with a huge leg brace. And then as it went on, a smaller leg brace, then just wrapping the knee, and then as if it had never happened. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's unbelievable. Brilliant. I that's mean, he's brilliant. still dealing with, with problems from it. Yeah. Because yeah. they were hurt bad, and, you know, he's getting some stem cell treatments and all kinds of therapy and what have you to deal with it. But uh, uh-huh. he's stubborn. He's a tough, tough guy. Tough guy. <laughs> yeah, tough guy. Absolutely. Um you're you're touring all over the U.S. and Canada. Um, how how are you how are you traveling? Uh, you're, I, I see you're up in. Uh, you, you just did a show in San Francisco. Then you're up to Washington and Portland, and then then to Vancouver, and then back down again. I spoke with uh, with Martin uh, Martin Barr for the last couple of tours, who called from a van, um, and then the, uh, on the last tour, he was driving. Uh, all over yeah, the country. You yeah. Uh, good uh, man. Are you guys good <laughs> very good. Se- 74 years old and he's still, you know, he's still still taking the wheel and, and pointing the van in the in the direction he wants to go. How how are you guys uh getting around on this tour? We've we got a bus, we got a trailer, and yeah. it's, it works out so much better for us because so much time gets wasted checking into hotels and yeah. schlepping all your stuff in and then checking yeah. out and schlepping it all back out again and when this tour was conceived, the gas prices were absolutely horrifying mm-hmm. all over the country. 
Yep. And the only way we could do it was to hit it really hard. There's like almost no days off on this run at all. Wow. Today is a travel day. Yeah. That's the yeah. first day off we've had in 10 days. And then we'll have a couple of shows. Then we have another travel day when we come down to Salt Lake. And then we'll be hitting it hard for about 17 in a row. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's that kind of thing because a day off will kill you because you're not earning money and the gas prices are just insane. Luckily, the gas prices have went down in most uh-huh. of the country, except uh-huh. on the West Coast, which is where we are right now. And this was yeah. absolutely terrible. But uh, once we hit uh, Utah and points east of there, we'll be doing well with that again. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's even a little cheaper we, here in We try to keep it self-contained. We went through this, the whole thing in the 80s where... You know, everyone had two guitar techs and a foot massager and uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and you realize that uh, who's paying for it all? You are. Which is why, you know, bands would go out on tour then. You, you get your $20 per diem. And it's like, well, I'm not getting paid. Well, of course you're not getting paid. This is promotional yeah. for the tour. Yeah. You're selling records. Remember? It's all yeah. about selling the records. Well, no one's really selling records anymore. So you got to be a little bit more leaner and meaner. It's it's funny how some of our contemporaries still have all those uh, security blankets of, uh, I have mm-hmm. a guy who tunes my guitar and puts the strings on. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that's nice, but uh, how much does that cost? Uh, yeah. 1500 $1, a week adds up real quick, you know? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. You know, so it's just like, you know, for that, I, I can take care of one or two things by myself. I'm, a, I'm an adult. I can do that. <laughs> there you go. It, it just works out... Uh, it works out better in many ways. We've got a, a, a smaller, leaner organization. And mm-hmm. if, if anyone knows how to take care of gear after we've trashed it, it would be us. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, another, another one of those ways that, that rock is changing. Um, I, I, I had this conversation with Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters. Who, uh, who who just loves to tour, and as long as he can stand, he he's going to tour. Um, but boy, did he have some stories, much like you do. A- any any time for any inclination for uh, for writing a memoir? I've dabbled. There was a promoter okay. in Japan who asked for some war stories, and uh-huh. it turned into like eight or nine. It would be absolutely be about eight or nine chapters worth of yeah. just wacky stuff from here and then so i could definitely do it we're just too busy at the moment so sure. I, I would take that rewrite some of it news but we've got so many crazy stories from over the years i mean you've got to after being you know 40 80 years in this business mm-hmm. i mean the, the time where we were unload basically parking for the hotel in italy in 1981 uh-huh. first time that and we're surrounded by Italian cops with machine guns who are waving and gesticulating and telling us to open up the truck. And we open up the truck and they see the equipment. And they're like, Musica? We're like, yeah, 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 Musica, with our hands up. And they go, Genesis? We're like, yeah, yeah, we're Genesis. That's right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it turned out there'd been a huge mafia massacre, like literally around the corner. And wow. They were just stopping everyone, checking them out. And- so that, that, that was a good one. But uh, <laughs> the, yeah, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that you, you get up to. It's uh, I alluded to when you were a kid and you went on the school trip, remember? Yeah. Everyone was just full of craziness. It's that. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. 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 I'd, 
adventurers you're out there in the world viewing it from a you know different viewpoint seeing everyone stuck in their their own little world and we're out there bouncing from place to place we love it we really do and again it all boils down to the music i mean it can be terrible long hard hours doing this but uh, we enjoy playing the music uh, and everything else is second it's always it's always always the music and getting out in front of those crowds is uh i'm sure is is an elixir to just about every every ill oh yeah absolutely it's uh that, that inspires us sure to show that that keeps keeps us going absolutely John Gallagher with his brother Mark is a founding member of the metal powerhouse Raven. The band is celebrating the 40th anniversary of their second album, Wiped Out. The latest album is Metal City. Uh, Mr. Gallagher and the rest of Raven are performing for one show only in Chicago at Reggie's on October 11th. Their website is ravenlunatics.com and reggieslive.com for tickets and details on the October 11th show. I will post links to both of those shows in the notes below john thank you very very much that uh that's that'll do it thank you very much for brilliant. taking the time you were uh, you were absolutely wonderful brilliant you take care man cheers yeah. mate you too bye-bye my thanks to guest john gallagher and thanks to all of you if you like this program help support playtime by clicking the subscribe button and receive updates on future programs i'm wc turk <laughs>